Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network alongside the scout Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock. You can subscribe to this show on all of your favorite podcast apps. Let us see those Spotify wrapped, by the way. Love seeing those. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. You can find Matt at Williamson NFL. We have a couple of interesting conversations that we can hopefully get to today, Matt. Um, power ranking the coach of the year candidates. We've been teasing it all week long. We should get to that. There's some people on the hot seat that might even potentially lose their jobs after this week. We've already seen two head coaches get the ax. And I think I want to And a Twitter Thursday, by the way, we will hit some Twitter questions as well today. And thank you everybody for submitting those to us. But Matt, you have some interesting notes here on turnover minus field goals. Why don't you take it away and explain why this particular stat is uh, important to you? Yeah, and some of the older listeners have will remember this, and I usually do it two or three times throughout the course of the season, and I have to kind of go old school and find all the data and do the addition myself, and you know, not like it's super hard. But here's the logic is most people in the NFL, and it's rarely talked about, consider a missed field goal attempt the same as a turnover. Well, why is that, Matt? Some of you listening understand this, but I'm going to treat a lot of you as if you're hearing this the first time. So let's say it's third down and whatever down in distance. doesn't matter. The quarterback throws an interception. It's returned seven yards past the original line of scrimmage. Or the quarterback is sacked seven yards past the line of scrimmage. The ball pops out. A defender falls on it. Why is that any different than one down later attempting a field goal and handing the ball seven yards past the line of scrimmage to the opponent? That's the logic behind it. Like so it. You, you're following, right? Yes, absolutely. No, I love it. And it's it's the small things. And I love when mm-hmm. we talked about special teams as well this season, which is a statistic that you like to bring up. And I think it's really important because we talk about the offense and the defense and the big stars. And it's the little things a lot of times. So many NFL games are decided within a score in three points. And it's the small things and you will see a correlation between good teams and playoff teams. And if you have to beat a good team, you have to do the small things. You have to win the turnover battle and not be penalized a ton. So I think this is a super important stat. Yeah, absolutely. And since I put this together yesterday, I've been vigorously looking on the internet to try to find opponents field goal misses because I want to count them as a positive and I can't find it. So if anyone Ah. can find out like, you're 49ers. How many missed field goals have gone against you? And I don't count that one as strongly just because that's not a choice that your team made. You know, the, the way that I'm looking at it is my team chose, my head coach chose to attempt this field goal. It didn't work and it cost them. Where on the other side, if you're on defense, the opponent tries to kick a field goal and it doesn't go through the uprights. It is like you getting a turnover, but you had nothing to do with it. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's a big football outsiders thing is there's field goal luck. So I've been able to find the percentages of field goal made against other teams, which remarkably, and this explains a little bit where, why the bills are so good. They are by far the luckiest team in the league of teams missing field goals against them. There's been a remarkable number of missed field goals against the bills. And I'm not cutting on the Bills, but 
that kind of explains why maybe your record's a little bit better than you'd think. You know, I mean, that's three points being left on the field time and time again. So if anyone can help me with that, with the next step of this, that would be great because I've been searching forever and I can't find it. So, Brian, this is what I came up with. So I want to talk about, like, the top third in the league and the minus third in the league when you take the turnover differential, which is very easy to find, and then you'd subtract all the missed field goals your team attempted. So there's one, two, three, four, five teams in normal turnover differential that are plus 10 or above. The Patriots sit alone. They're plus 19. Wow. You know, that's amazing in turnover differential at this stage of the yeah. game. The Steelers are plus 12, which explains a little bit where they're at in terms of having very little offensive you know, talent and, and whatnot. The Packers, Saints, and Seattle are all plus 11. Without, I mean, it's not a coincidence that the best teams are going to have better turnover differentials, but it's a chicken or the egg thing, too. The good teams cause turnovers, you know, and whatnot. Baltimore's a plus eight, Kansas City's a plus seven, San Francisco's a plus six. So those are the best in the league in normal turnover differential. So when you factor in the missed field goals, though, the the Patriots are still at, at the top, but they have 12. I mean, they've missed seven field goals this year, which we bring up a lot. I bet Belichick's pulling his hair out of his head. They're at 12. The Packers and Steelers, who between them have only missed three field goals, are right on their heels at plus 10 when you factor this all in. So I think that says a lot, you know, I mean, that, yes, New England's remarkable. It's protecting the ball and taking it away. But this little hidden yardage thing, which is a very unpatriot thing, is hurting them quite a bit. The Ravens and the Saints are also plus seven. As you imagine, the Ravens have only missed one field goal. Saints have missed four, though. Seattle has missed five. They're plus six. So those are the ones that are kind of the best in this category. Um, other teams are either somewhere between plus three and minus four is pretty much the the middle of the road, the ones that aren't as noteworthy to me. And then the bottom feeders, I think this is a little bit more telling. Like when a really talented team, why? Why are they struggling so much? So these are the teams that in normal turnover differential are minus 10 or worse. The Bucks and Chargers are both minus 10. The Bengals are minus 11. The Giants are minus 13. Miami's minus 14. But all these teams are double-digit or worse when you factor in the missed field goals. Not surprisingly, Miami, remember how bad they were to start the season, are minus 19. They've missed five field goals. Here's a big one, though. The Chargers have missed eight field goals. They're minus 18. They're 31st in this metric in turnover differential. I mean, you can blame Phillip Rivers. You can blame the O-line, blame the coach. But that is a huge component why they're not in the in the playoff mix right now. Atlanta's minus 14. And they're a bad team, but they're not as bad. I mean, they have more talent than their record and some of their performances were indicate. They've missed seven field goals, and they're minus seven in turnover differential. Carolina and the Rams, I think, are two interesting ones. Both these teams have missed seven field goals, respectively. The Chargers are minus, or the Rams are minus 12. The Panthers are minus 13. And then here's a big one Dallas. Dallas is minus two in your typical turnover differential. Okay, that's not so bad. Missed 10 kicks. They're minus 12. 
they're right there at the bottom. I mean, they're tied with the Rams. I think the Rams, Dallas, and Chargers really tell you a lot, and the Carolina and Atlanta to some degree too, of why they're in the predicament they're in. And then some of the other worst ones are the Jets, the Colts, the Lions, the Browns, the Eagles. They're all between minus 8 and minus 11. So everybody else, if you're not mentioned, are pretty much middle of the road. But, I mean, this told me a lot about the Steelers, Seattle to some regard, because I kind of feel like it's Russell Wilson and everybody else. And then, like I said, the Rams, the Chargers, Dallas. So a lot there to unfold. There's also teams getting smarter. There's more and more teams going for it more often on fourth down and really attainable yardage on fourth down, which I think is massive. Seeing teams like the Ravens go for it a lot on fourth down. Teams are just getting smarter and the benefit of going for it on fourth down and continuing to march toward either an easier field goal or the end zone and gain field position is so much of an advantage over kicking and missing a field goal. So there's a lot of things coming together with this statistic and, and I really like it. So I'm glad you brought it out. Yeah, and I think to your point, I don't know this, but just as soon as you said it, I reacted in, in my mind that I think there's been fewer field goal attempts this year than ever, too, which is to your point, go for it on fourth down. I mean, that's, that's the um, the analytics view on these things, and it's it's it amazed me it took that long for coaches to realize it, to be honest. And I'm going to nerd out with one little more phase of this because I am not – a mathematician or, you know, I would love to talk to football outsiders people or Cynthia Freeland, Freeland or somebody like that, Warren Sharp, somebody that could figure it out. Because while I very much believe, like I did said to start the show, that a missed field goal, that you choose to miss a, uh, attempt a field goal and you miss it, is the same as a turnover, it can't be weighted as much as turning the ball over, say, on your own 20. You know, because you're not, you're not attempting field goals from your side of the field, the negative side of the field. Yeah. So yes, it's a it turns the tables in a big way. It's the same as you know Jameis if he's on the thirty yard line going in on third down and he throws a pick. It's the same as you know an incompletion and then the next play is a, a missed field goal. But there has to be someone smarter than me that could figure out where you turn it over on the field and weight it appropriately. That's a great point, and it's just like when you throw a long interception on third down where you're trying to convert something and it's ends up being not that far off from a punt then you know that turnover shouldn't be weighted the same as a really bad turnover when you're where you're in the red zone and you're about to score and you throw a pick six or something like that exactly well said and maybe there are those metrics out there i'd be very interested but i do believe that missed field goals are a turnover a missed field goal against you is a plus turnover, but they can't all be created equal. I mean, if I turn it over on my own one, it's not the same as turning it over on the plus one. It's a great conversation, and the little things are super important in the NFL, and I think this is one of those stats that illustrates it for sure. We've got to move on here. We've got a coaching conversation and some Twitter Thursday questions to hit next. All right, I've got a list, Matt, of the guys I think in order – who should be considered for Coach of the Year in the NFL. And we can talk a little bit about some uh, some hot seat stuff if you want to. Jay Gruden, fired from Washington. Ron Rivera, fired from Carolina. Those are the two head coaches that have gotten the act so far. I think there are definitely a few more that are on the hot seat. Um, Coach of the Year candidates. I'm just going to throw them out there, no specific order, and then you tell me how you feel about where these should be in order. And I'll start with uh, the Ravens. 
John Harbaugh, 11-2 team, obviously. Uh, Greg Roman, I think, steals some thunder from Harbaugh there with what he's done on offense and, and Lamar Jackson, but he absolutely has to be in the conversation, as does Kyle Shanahan at 11-2. Sean Payton, uh, Sean McDermott, what he's doing in Buffalo, I think is very good. Mike Tomlin over there in Pittsburgh, being able to overcome the loss of a Hall of Fame quarterback, and, and they're in the playoff hunt right now with that defense. We just saw the little things be illustrated there by you in that statistic in the first segment. Pete Carroll has to be in the conversation with the Seahawks roster that is not as good as some rosters that the Seahawks have had in the past, but their record is right there with some great Seahawks teams from the past. And of course, Bill Belichick, who's always in this conversation. That's the seven names I have that would be the front runners to me for coach of the year. Yeah, good names. I think you can make a case for most of those very strong Let's do this there, BP. Let's exclude the teams that we're closest to. Because I'll be honest, I probably would vote for Tomlin. And I know a criticism of our show is we're too strong on the Niners and Steelers. And before you showed up, I got it. You know, you're too strong on the Steelers. So I'm going to step back from Pittsburgh. Okay. I'm down at that facility. I'm at practices. Um, I know those guys. So I'm going to take them out of the equation for myself. And I've also had to deal. Um, I talk about them every day about on their third third guy and you know all the injuries and all the things they've overcome so i'm going to take the steelers out of the equation when you said harbaugh i immediately thought that's a strong one but i feel like the best thing harbaugh did was last year whenever he benched flacco mm. went all in on lamar i think they were seven and one with him as a starter and then continued that through the offseason to make the offense unbelievably lamar friendly and it's working. I feel like they're reaping the benefits now where he hasn't had to overcome the hardships of some of these others in, in just in this season alone. So I'm going to go with Peyton. And for those of you that weren't listening, yesterday we had the Locked on Saints fellow on. It was phenomenal. We talked a lot of good Saints stuff. And I just think that tough schedule, high expectations, really playing at an extremely high level, one of the top three or so teams in the league, in my opinion, and they won an awful lot of games without their Hall of Fame quarterback. It's interesting that you want to just take the two best coaches out of it, and Mike Tomlin and Kyle Shanahan. But that's cool. No, <laughs> uh, and I and we actually talked about it last week. I thought it maybe it was a preview of who would win Coach of the Year with Shanahan versus Peyton last week. And yeah, it's maybe. funny because you take those two coaches out, and I, I agree. You know, we we need to step outside of those 49ers Steelers conversations as much as possible and, and talk about these other teams. So we can leave those guys on the side that are definitely in the conversation for Coach of the Year. Very strong candidates there um this is the order i have them in and i love what sean payton is doing in new orleans he's been the guy that's been number one on this list since we talked about putting it out uh, i love the game plan he had last week that i watched very closely what he did with teddy bridgewater losing no games going from breeze to bridgewater um, everything is just in lockstep one thing i will note here before i go on while i'm thinking about it is and you mentioned with the Ravens, and I think it's really important with what's going on with Lamar Jackson, John Harbaugh, and most of these teams, whether the coach is sort of the, also the GM or they're just yeah. in lockstep coach and GM organizationally, these teams just seem to be together. And I think the Ravens are the most perfect example of the coaching staff and the front office being in lockstep and going forward with the plan. And I think that is so important in the NFL. And you see it in, I think, in all seven of these occasions, you see that. And I think that is really huge, and, and it helps everybody. It helps all the coaches. It helps the players, if that's the case in any organization. Uh, but my order would be Seattle Peyton, really comes to mind on that one, too. Absolutely. Seattle, 
yeah. San Francisco. I think Buffalo's got yeah. that going on as well. Bill Belichick's just in charge of everything over there. And so, you know, the coach and the, and the GM is basically the same guy are in lockstep with what's happening. Um, <laughs> right. But Peyton McDermott, Carol Belichick, Harbaugh. And it's hard to separate some of those. That's the order I would have it in there. Um, Harbaugh, maybe less so because, like you said, just the decision and the I mean, the GM, the 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 offensive coordinator, Lamar himself gets so much credit that it actually hurts Harbaugh. Maybe it shouldn't. But for me, trying to split hairs on this list, that's why he's after Carol and Belichick. Yeah, I mean, he has a it's almost like should you give Andy Reid coach of the year last year because he has Mahomes and would, mm-hmm. and obviously it's like the Brady Belichick conversation over the years that these guys all feed off each other. Great coach, great qu- quarterback, making each other better. But uh, I can see also the argument of uh, Roman's really handling the offense. You know, you have a great defensive coordinator, and Lamar's just making plays out there. Even if I was his coach, <laughs> you know? right? Exactly. Yep. And and I think talent wise, that's why I have McDermott too, because I think looking at these rosters, and um, you know, Pete Carroll, I think is doing a great job in Seattle as well. I just like what I like what McDermott and the Bills are able to do, and I think recently with some of their recent games and seeing how tough they played the Ravens and seeing them beat the Cowboys. Those games impressed me with what's going on in Buffalo. I like the coaching staff, even though I don't believe the roster is good enough for them to go far enough and he probably won't win this award. Yeah. And he deserves a lot of credit. I mean, they're, they're coming to they're coming here Sunday night. So I've really been focused on him this week and they don't have a ton of talent, but I do think they're building a program, you know, even it's been three steps or about three years or whatever they went to the playoffs when no one in the world thought they were a playoff team. And frankly, they really weren't, but they got in. But they were way ahead of the curve then. And even that, those last two years ago, he's proving that if you give him C-level talent, he's going to win B-level games. And it's a big enough sample size. You know, we mentioned like the Seattle and Saints connection between GM and coach. The Bills might be... That same thing five years from now, ten years from now, Allen has two rings. You know what I mean? Like, this might be a long-term setup there in Buffalo. I think it's a good point, too, with the actual coaching job, the development of talent that these guys are doing. John Harbaugh and and what's going on with Lamar Jackson and making him a better quarterback from what he was in college. And Kyle, um, Josh Allen, I think, is the best example of that because he was almost written off by a lot of people, me included, and seeing his play recently I think is massive and you have to give the coaching staff a ton of credit there for those those sort of jobs and so maybe that's the difference between where a team like the Bills end up and they're definitely building talent and a team like the Jets who can they get to this point is the development of and we're going to see him tonight and by the way if you want to hear our preview of the Thursday night football game go here Wednesday's show yesterday we covered that one but Sam Darnold the development there can those teams become organizationally and developmentally up here with these teams because these teams are all good these teams all have good front offices these teams have quarterbacks that have developed and they have good coaching staffs and so all those things go together and it you know it ends up being the guy who's the coach who gets the award but there's so many other things that go into that what's interesting is if you look just at the AFC East obviously we've been thinking for years who's going to take over for the Patriots and someday folks it probably will happen you know maybe as soon as next year Belichick still carries a lot of weight, even if Brady were to leave or if one were the other. But I think if you look at the other three teams, you look at the Bills, and and, and I look at them and like, okay, they're they're probably about in high school now, you know, where the Jets are in about 
third grade, and I don't know if they're getting good teaching or not. Uh, the Dolphins are about to enroll in kindergarten. And, hey, it looks like a promising young student, but who knows? Meanwhile, the Patriots have three master's degrees. <laughs> I love that. That is a great analogy. <laughs> that, that That is fantastic. Absolutely so. Um, right now, you would you would put your vote in for Sean Payton. Is that what I, I heard correctly? I think so, but I don't feel super strong about it. And I would probably pick my Steeler guy. Yeah, <laughs> I might pick my 49ers <laughs> guy too. But uh, all these names, I would have no problem with any of them. And some of that is still to play out, I think, as well. Let's move on here. We've got to get to a Twitter Thursday next. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NFL. Again, that's using slash locked NFL at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcasts.com slash offers. Matt, we've got a non-football question here. We are, we're all football all the time. Is there any underrated Christmas movies that you want to throw out there? We don't have to do a, a top Christmas movies list, but Emilio wants to know what underrated Christmas movies we like. Godfather 1. It's the best movie ever. Christmas is in the background. Vito gets shot. Love and it. Far and away, number one. I'll take that. If that's a Christmas movie, uh, that that's definitely on top There's of Christmassy the list. things going on. <laughs> Absolutely. Die Hard is another one of those that people argue right. about. Is it a Christmas movie? Right. Is it not? Uh, if there is a Christmas tree anywhere in the movie, it's a Christmas movie. I'm with you on that one for sure. I love it. Uh, I like Scrooged. That one, I haven't seen it. I've I, it heard just, it's good. It hit me at the right time. When I was a kid, it was just weird and goofy and love Bill Murray. So that, that's one of my favorites. Edward Scissorhands is another one that I've seen. Is, is that a Christmas yeah. movie? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think Trading a Christmas Places story stands is alone is it just plays on TBS over and over and over. And yeah, all we the, know, like, everyone knows every line and it's a, its own beast. And going back to being a kid, the Rudolph animated one. The Rudolph yeah, the Red right, Nose Reindeer. Right, right. Like, that's the one that's like, okay, it's Christmas. And I think now, Christmas Vacation is probably my number one favorite just because... That's it's just, the best movie it's so of all good. those. Yeah, Most fun to watch, so yeah. JDS. Santa doesn't show up in Godfather, though. <laughs> right. No jingle bells, but, you know. <laughs> Do you ever play Madden? Someone wants to know who would win a game of Madden between us. I haven't played Madden in at least five years. Then you would win, because okay. I've never played ever in my life. Never. Okay. But I will say, the way that my living room, I don't have an office, but I sit there in my lazy boy with my laptop working, and my son has like this gigantic squishy pillow thing that you lay in and play your games. And he's always playing Madden or NHL or whatever. And like me, he's not the most athletic fellow in the world, but he loves the team building aspect. And at 12 years old, playing so much Madden, he might know the players in the league better than me. Like he knows every number of every player. He knows what cleats they wear, what face masks they have, builds his own dudes. Like, I'm jealous because I like that aspect of it. And I was never, I just never was much of a gamer, to be honest with you. I never did the online thing. That's where it started to end for me. I don't want to play some 12-year-old that's like, ah, you suck. And you're like, ah, yeah, I'm going to turn this <laughs> off right now. <laughs> right. You'll get a job. Uh, there's a question here, and I want to hit a few before we Real get Real quick, to... I can ask you one thing along yeah. those lines because I have one guilty pleasure in this regard. But did you play any of these, like, App games, you know, like Candy Crush or oh, any of those no. type of deals. No, never, not even for one second. I, I mean, I used to play some Candy Crush, and I understand why it's like it's like crack. 
But I play Plants vs. Zombies 2 every day. What? At least fi- 15 <laughs> minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. Used to play Plants vs. Zombies 1 on my iPad, and I love it. And I should never admit that to anyone. The only thing close to that I ever did was way back in the day, the free games that come with your Windows computer, the Minesweeper. I used to play that quite a bit. Uh, my wife did that. Yeah, but no, none of these app games that are like super furious where you smash the buttons. What, what was it? Zombies versus what? Plants versus Zombies. There was oh. Plants vs. Zombies 1. Now there's Plants vs. Zombies 2. And then there's some spin-off games. Like my son has one for his Xbox, and that's not what I'm into, but... It's good stuff, I'm telling you, but uh, I should never admit that to anyone. That's a new one. I have not heard of Plants vs. Zombies. I like it. I think we're going to get some response from the audience on that one. This one might uh, take some time for us. I wanted to finish this with this one. This is from David. He says, hey, guys, I need help with Blitz Analytics. I wrote an article ranking the top 12 running backs since 2000. You discussing the NFL 100 all-time was part of the inspiration, and I was curious what you two thought of the ranks for these running backs. So this is from the year 2000 to now running back rankings. This is how David has them ranked. Number one, LT. Two, Adrian Peterson. Three, Frank Gore. Four, Marshawn Lynch. Five, Marshall Falk. Six, Sean Alexander. Seven, Matt Forte. Eight, Edron James. Nine, Le'Veon Bell. Ten, Jerome Bettis. Eleven, Steven Jackson. And twelve, LaShawn McCoy. This is an interesting conversation that we could probably go a lot mm, longer. We have, a, we have yeah. a few minutes to cover this. The one thing I will say, and this is the number one thing, and other people were chiming in on this, Marshall Falk is going to be the one that I think I disagree with everybody. David has him at five. Some other people think he should be maybe closer to two or three after LT and Adrian Peterson. My argument would be Marshall Falk shouldn't even be on in the top 12 of this list because he did so much of his damage in the 90s, because we're talking 2000 oh, until 2019, right? So you could, are you looking at peak, which he did have his peak a couple of years there, 2000 and 2001, before he fell off. He had two good years, really, in this conversation versus guys who had their entire careers. That's always one of the sticking points for, like, those all-decade teams. Like, say you're drafted in 1985 yes. and you played in 1995. You're kind of get the short end of the stick against the dude that got drafted in 81. You yeah, know on what both I mean? 80s and 90s lists, you get screwed. Yeah. And so when you read that list off, it was the first I heard it. And my initial response was, I didn't care when, what years they were drafted. I didn't go that deep. I was just thinking how good of careers did they all have? And I had, and to me, Falk and LT would be a tight race for number one. And I would lead toward lean towards Tomlinson. Um, one thing that stood out to me too, you won't like hearing this, but I probably would bump Gore down three or four spots. That hurts. I mean, that hurts. Matt. I know that hurts. I mean, I'm sure he's extremely fun to root for. I have great respect for him, but uh, I, I lean away from cumulative awards. You know, I always talk, use the Art Monk conversation. I remember when he got in, I was like, he was pretty good, but boy, he just played forever. You know, like I know that's a, a certainly an advantageous thing. It's an impressive thing. It deserves respect. But whenever I build lists like this, I'm more interested in. Who would I rather play against? You know, Adrian Peterson or Frank Gore or even Bettis on that list was a nightmare to play against. And I, I forget the list off the top of my head, but I would have probably bumped Gore down like two or three spots, definitely behind Falk. But your argument's awesome about the 2000s. If he's not in the 2000s, then Falk probably shouldn't even be on the list. Yeah, 94 is when Falk came into the league. And I, I remember, I knew it was the 90s, but I was like, man, it was all the way back in 1994. That was his rookie year in the NFL. And 
one thing that jumps out to me is there's two guys that the Colts drafted on the list. Edron James absolutely deserves to be in this conversation. I might I might put him fourth after uh, uh, LT Peterson and Gore. Then he's Edrin what I would have put again ahead of Gore too. I thought he was too low. Yeah, and but it's interesting that the Colts had Marshall Falk, sent him to the Rams, and then drafted Edron James in what was that ninety nine when that went down. Yeah, that was a contract thing. Yeah. Falk wanted out. They didn't want to pay him. And so they used a very early pick on Edge over Ricky Williams. At the time, that was jaw-dropping. Steven Jackson's another name who's been a pretty underrated guy for the career he put up, and he's actually fourth. I've got the list right now. Since 2000, here is in order the rank of most rushing yards. Frank Gore, one. Adrian Peterson, two. Ladanian three. Steven Jackson, four. LaShawn McCoy, five. Edron James, six, Jamal Lewis, seven. Then it goes Thomas Jones, Marshawn Lynch, Clinton Portis, who might be getting arrested today, by the way. I saw an article oh, about a, a scheme. Yeah, there's a, a, I don't know if it's something we, we don't have, definitely don't have time to get into this, but there's a scheme and a number of, I think I saw at least six former NFL players were um, going to be arrested oh, yeah. because they were frauding medical insurance companies by claiming all this expensive equipment, $3.9 million worth of equipment that they actually never purchased. Lovely. Yeah. So uh, Clinton Port is part of that group. Um, I agree. Jackson's too low. Imagine if he was on a good team. Um, yes. I didn't know how to wait like Peterson and Bettis's inability to catch the ball. You know, I mean, I, I think that hurts. But, boy, the year 2001 is a lot different than 2019 in that regard, you know. Right, and that's one of the things Frank Gore is the the hidden stuff that you maybe wouldn't yeah. see, and he at, at his peak wasn't as good as LT or Falk or Peterson, but like I want him pass protecting for me, right? Like just a reliable dude. He's so good. Um, by the way, and the Marshall Falk thing, looking where he is since the year two thousand, Marshall Falk has the forty fifth most rushing yards. Wow, I mean, yeah, that's probably he probably should not be on the list. Right, I thought Lynch was a little low. Dominant, dominant player. I mean, I think Lynch versus Peterson is a good conversation. I would pick Peterson, but they, they're pretty similar to me. If you are talking peak, if you just get the peak of each of these guys, though, I would put Falk in there after LT and Peterson. So I will give him that for yeah. sure. Just for that year, 2000, 2001, he was still very good for a short time in the 2000s. Another name that didn't dawn on me until you listed the all-time rush or the, the rushing leaders of the 2000s that didn't make the original list Jamal Lewis was awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just a powerhouse beast of a oh, dude. Fast. That, yeah. yeah. Too, like, he was nearing 250 pounds, right? Running a, a near 4-3. Just a monster of a dude. I mean, I I hate that. You, people know me. I don't like comparing people to Hall of Famers, but he had some Jim Brown tendencies. Right. Yeah. He's one of those guys that if he was back in the day, he would be an all-time great Hall of Fame type of a player. You know, I think he rushed for 2,000, too, didn't he? Oh, he did, yeah. You're right. So he was still. I mean, he, you talk about a peak. Didn't. Okay, so not only was he a top 10 in rushing yards total since 2000, he did in 2003 have, uh, looking at it right now, 2,066 yards. Yeah, you're right. So hell of a Monster. peak there as well. Yeah, good, good call he'd be pretty high for me. But he didn't, he didn't last as long as some of these guys. All right, Matt, we got to go. We're out of time here. Let's reconvene tomorrow and make our picks for all the rest of the weekend games and break down what happened on Thursday Night Football. Absolutely. Good show. That was fun. See you all again Friday right here, Locked on NFL.